Welcome to the Tamarind Learning Podcast, where host Cindy Radu speaks with experts on many topics relevant to the ultra-high net worth family and family office. Cindy was author and co-author of numerous articles related to trusts, family enterprises, and estate planning, and co-authored taxation and estate planning in Canada for many years. She also shares her expertise as a consultant, advisor, and educator to those in the family enterprise space. Cindy is the Chief Learning Officer of Tamarind Learning Canada, an online wealth education platform that develops practical, foundational learning programs for beneficiaries and their advisors to help them prepare for the responsible stewardship of wealth. Welcome to the Tamarind Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Radu. I'm the Chief Learning Officer for Tamarind Learning Canada, an online wealth education platform that develops practical foundational learning programs for beneficiaries and their advisors to help them prepare for the responsible stewardship of wealth. As part of the Tamarind Learning Platform, I have the great privilege to speak with experts on topics relevant to families of wealth and to family offices. In this episode of the Tamarind Learning Podcast, I am absolutely delighted to welcome Malcolm Burroughs from Toronto, Canada as our guest. I've had the great pleasure to know Malcolm for more than 20 years, and I'm always delighted whenever we have the opportunity to cross paths. Malcolm's personal mission has been to help families and individuals to become more engaged, fulfilled, and effective philanthropists. Malcolm, can you share with us a bit about your personal and professional story that inspired your personal mission statement? Uh, Cindy, it's great to be here and working with you on this. I'm a lifelong charity guy. I've been working uh, for charities, with charities, and um, more to the point, charitable people, uh, philanthropists, families, uh, for the last 32 years. So I started out working at charities in Toronto and bringing together the sort of the, the complex world of exceptional giving when people want to do more than the ordinary every day and uh, integrate their wealth planning, integrate their values and integrate that sense of community mission to make the world a little bit better place. So I uh, now work at Scotia Wealth Management and head of philanthropic advisory services. And I've been here for the last uh, 18 years and uh, um, work uh, leading our foundation practice and our philanthropic advisory services practices. And, and Malcolm, um, you're very, very modest and you haven't brought up, but I, I if I'm not incorrect, uh, you started the first donor advised uh, foundation, donor advised fund foundation in Canada. Can you tell us a little bit about that? One of the first. So, so found, founder of Aqueduct Foundation, which is a, a national cause neutral foundation and it has donor advised funds. And our purpose is facilitating personal philanthropy. So again, these exceptional gifts and uh, in the community and really working deeply with families to figure out sort of what they would like to support and having that uh, flexibility 
having that uh, intentionality to uh, really achieve their philanthropic goals. And it, um, blessed to say that over the last 16 years, it's become one of the 15 largest foundations in the country. So. And you also sit on the board of a number of other charitable organizations. One of my personal favorites that you're involved with is Doctors Without Borders. Are there any others, not to be exclusive of some, but <laughs> any that uh, you can share with, with our listeners? Absolutely. So Doctors Without Borders I've been involved with. I always try and in my work, I always want in the charity's perspective. So I find it to be a tremendous learning opportunity. So I sit on a number of family foundation boards. Uh, there's uh, Matarp Foundation in Edmonton, Wa Family Foundation in Toronto. Um, Canada Helps, which is a large um, intermediary charity for the charitable sector in Canada. It's actually one of the largest in terms of donations. And again, it's a bridge charity that uh, raises money for other charities using uh, their technological expertise. And uh, I've been involved with uh, Doctors Without Borders, both on the Canadian board, as well as their international Spanish board, mm -hmm. which uh, again, huge learning experiences. So. Well, we're, we're very fortunate to have your expertise and your passion for philanthropy to, uh, for this podcast today. So let's start out with uh, sort of a foundational question. If, if an individual or family wants to get involved in philanthropy in this more intentional or formal way, what suggestions do you have for them as to where they might start? Well, there's a number of different sort of I think triggers for major philanthropy. Um, I often, uh, and sometimes it's structural or something that's happening in, in their uh, personal life or wealth uh, and sort of management of their wealth or businesses. And that's often ends up being sort of a transition point into philanthropy. But if you were to look at sort of the philanthropic process alone, I think one of the things that we see over and over again with a lot of giving is uh, people are generous. They wanna be more involved. They, they want their giving to be more meaningful, but often we end up sort of because of the structure of fundraising and charities, we often end up in a reactive mode to giving and uh, we're responding to other people's solicitations and asks. I'm a big proponent of, of being proactive, sort of stepping back and figuring out not what the world expects of you, but what you want to do, what's meaningful, uh, and really getting to know charities better. So I, I, I've worked with donors over the years and families to um, be much more intentional about their giving, starting with uh, uh, sort of basic issues like uh, what are their sort of uh, key, key values? What are their key life experiences? And how might that relate to individual charities? So move it from responding to solicitations to actually initiating. And don't do it in a theoretical way, but actually step forward and uh, start to give. I think sometimes we get stuck in our heads around this and we don't implement. And with giving, it's all about implementing. It's about getting to know charities. It's about educating yourself. So where might somebody start if they're just like completely overwhelmed? Because there's how many, you'll know more than I, how many hundreds or thousands even of, of charities and foundations there are in Canada. Where, where would be a good starting point for somebody, whether it's in their community or 
you know, do they go international? Like, how do they even sure. start those conversations? Um, it it means carving out a little bit of time. Uh, it means thinking about, um, uh, as I said, taking a step back and having that reflection point. And it often helps to uh, uh, work with somebody, uh, an advisor um, on this, but I've had worked with many people over the year that, that all, of course they're getting to this point on their own. Okay. But the actual identification of charities is both, it's both overwhelming. There's 86,000 registered charities in the country. And in some ways, because of uh, the internet and transparency of information, information, they're much easier to find out these days. So there's a lot of databases, both in Canada as well as the US, of, of registered charities. Canada Revenue Agency has their database. Every charity, uh, all their financial information, personal information is online, some of their, uh, and links to their website. So if you start with that what's important to us question and then task yourself using some of these databases. Another great one is the CanadaHelps.org. It has every registered charity in the country. You can search by key terms and begin to assess sort of uh, finding local charities, finding international charities, whatever is aligned with your interests and uh, start that giving process. Um, it's, and as I said, I'm a big believer, don't sort of, uh, once you find something, sort of uh, blow it out, uh, is start sort of more modestly. Start giving in a way that's a little bit more than you found in the past, but it's very consistent. Because what you really want to do is get to know those charities. There's often, I hear back from donors, families, uh, we have trust issues. Where do we start? Uh, how do we know that the charities are using the money well? How do we know they're good organization? One of the best ways to do that is actually give them a little bit of money and then actively get to know them. So in my professional practice, that's what we try, try to do is move beyond just that financial transaction and really beginning to understand uh, the people there, what, uh, what they use the money for, what, what are the challenges they face the charities trying to address. And charities, for the most part, are really open and interested. They want to share this. We don't have to just send money and, and stand back and wait for an email or, or some sort of communication. Um, I actively encourage uh, clients that I work with to, to get to know the charities, give them a call, tell them that it's, uh, they're really interested and you'd like to spend half an hour on the phone or even go for a visit. And it can make a huge difference in terms of quality of understanding and the, the meaning and effectiveness of giving. Wonderful, wonderful advice. So, uh, Malcolm, I'm interested in if you're seeing any trends around generational differences uh, or, you know, or any of the generations being, you know, stepping up more than others in, in terms of initiating some of this tippy-toeing into the charitable, charitable world for the first time. It, it, absolutely. I almost uh, chuckled to myself when you said that. I, I see trends in generational giving. It's, it's forever thus. I mean, each generation has a different view, a different life experience. And so one of the first things that I uh, generally advise people as they go into family philanthropy is assume 
that each generation is going to have their own interests. And everybody pretty much knows that. And structure, if you're working, for example, with a donor advised fund or a family foundation, or even trying to just bring a little bit more structure and, and uh, family communication to the process of choosing charities and engaging with them, assume that each generation and each member of the family is going to have different interests. I think one of the great mistakes is to try and uh, is have uh, family philanthropy that is uh, has a single cause or two causes. And it works in some families. In the majority of families, the best way to engage next generation is to make sure that they have agency, that they know that they can support the charities that are important to them. Otherwise, often the parents uh, end up setting the agenda and the kids say, why am I at this table? Uh, uh, this isn't reflecting my interest. And I view the philanthropic discussion within the family about as engagement, about uh, transmitting those values. And if the next generation isn't feeling engaged, uh, they're not going to come to the table. They're not going to carry on that tradition. They're going to shut down. And I've had that experience as well. And it's quite disheartening. So I often use uh, um, structures within foundations, for example, just take a simple pie chart and say some of it's a group decision, but there's also individual pots that allow people to express what they're interested in within the family, because there's always going to be these generational differences and they vary from family to family. That pie chart idea is, is one that I'll definitely be using <laughs> as I go forward with some of my clients, because I do find um, families very philanthropic, but it tends to be the, the senior generation, generation one, the founder generation that is really been driving that philanthropic objective. And, uh, and so it's, it, it can be challenging to give that give that voice to the the rising generations to say what they're engaged and interested in and i've almost found in, in well in some circumstances where it skips down to the grandkids once the grandkids start getting into something Absolutely. then it's it's a really cool transition to uh, uh the, the grandparents and how do they support things it's very fascinating to me couldn't couldn't agree more i've been so inspired often by next uh generation it's a G2 or G3 within the family, the way they embrace it and run with it. And they often give in a very different ways than the, uh, the first generation, which is often more of a giving back, responding to the community that they built their wealth in. Mm -hmm. And I find that future generations tend to be more cause-oriented. Uh, they're seeing issues in the world and they want to respond to it. So it's, it's quite a different dynamic, but it's allowing space and learning from each other in that regard. So it, when people are, are new to what I'll just generally refer to as formalized philanthropy rather than sort of a pattern of, of charitable giving that's maybe more reactive. What, what do you find um, most, they find most challenging in, in starting on this path? Cindy, that's a great question in terms of being more intentional and structured about giving. I often uh, tell people that they should be thinking 
about if they're moving in this direction, they're in the business of giving. And so it's going to be less apthotic, less reactive, and more proactive. So within a family, it's really important to have a bit of governance around that. The simple pie chart example is a, a great way of defining that. All members of the family will want to know how they can participate. Uh, what their role is, how much they can grant and spend, how decisions are made. And those are really, really important things, whether you, you're doing it within a foundation or doing it just in a more structured, formalized way. And uh, if you want that next generation involvement, you need to have some guardrails and figure out uh, how to do it. I also should say that uh, in my experience, families often take many years to, uh, to develop this ethos. And there's nothing more wonderful. I've been involved with a number of families that over three, four, five, even 10 years, uh, that transition happens and the internal dialogue, uh, a mature dialogue around philanthropy happens in the family. So it's not a simple click your fingers, uh, throw out some, some basic tools and you think everything's gonna happen all at once. So don't be hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. Just uh, know that uh, this is something you need to work at together with a bit of structure. So it's not so overwhelming step-by-step. Step, don't put too much pressure on yourselves to go from zero to a hundred. Take, take your time and, and be thoughtful. And yeah. giving, yeah. should, giving should be a joy. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, it's not an extra source, uh, a, a source of joy, pride, satisfaction. Um, and it shouldn't be a, a source of extra stress. But, but, it, can, but it is a commitment um, <laughs> if, you're, if you're moving it to this more, more intentional, intentional form of, of giving. Uh, but it should be fun. Yeah, it should be fun. So uh, this time of year, we're starting to head into fall, back to school, uh, this end of year seasonal celebrations. And people tend to think about giving at the end of the year, I think a little bit more, uh, sometimes tax driven, uh, admittedly. But if, if families have been thinking about starting on a, on a more intentional charitable journey, what do you, what would you suggest that should be on their radar as we are got this lead time towards, towards the end of the year and, and a refresh September seems to be a, a bit of a start, more of a new year sometimes than January does for, for many families on, on this kind of activity. Absolutely. About, 50 to 60% of charitable giving in, uh, in Canada happens in the final three months of the mm -hmm. calendar year. So there's often a lot of pressure around it. Um, and it, if there's one thing, again, in, with the philosophy of don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, this is a good first step for families that wanna be more intentional, particularly to get next generation involved, is have that meeting to say that even if you don't have a, a foundation structure or a donor advice fund, have the family meeting and say, uh, we collectively wanna get uh, sort of, have more of a focus on this and give the next generation an opportunity to say, you know, uh, here's, here's some money that you can spend. And it could be, we started with our kids when they were, uh, you know, six, seven and eight mm. uh, with a hundred dollars. Uh, but 
some families it's sort of like each child has ten thousand dollars and the but the core sort of uh, methodology is making sure that each person can decide on their own and then report back to the family about what they uh, what charities or charities they've chosen and so that creates a little bit of a dialogue about what's important to each one without ever setting up the situation where the one generation is asking permission from the next generation. Again, the focus is on giving and the focus on family harmony as opposed and family understanding as opposed to uh, everybody giving in uh, to a single cause for a single purpose. And it, this is a wonderful opportunity for learning as well as giving. And it's often a great first step for uh, longer, more structured giving. Uh, that uh, may may happen for uh, sort of future generations as well. Well, I think Malcolm, th those uh, are amazing guidelines, tips uh, to get families started on this on this conversation. I think for me, a, a few takeaways are: I really appreciated your comment that people are generous and want to be more involved. And, and proactive, being proactive on what's meaningful to you. I, that's a key takeaway for me. Love the quote that you just said, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good and start modestly um, a little more than what you've done in the past, but being consistent and actively getting to know the charities are a few of my takeaways. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us before we wrap up? I uh, always stress the the joy and uh, joy of giving. I love the uh, that this should be it, giving and engaging with charities, getting more involved with the community is a, a source of enormous personal fulfillment and also you know expression of all of our own agency in terms of trying to make the world a little bit better place. So. Uh, ensuring that that's embedded in the process and it's a generous process, not just sort of a rules-based one, to me is immensely important. It has to be driven by a spirit uh, and it's a positive one. Mm. Malcolm Burroughs, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and warmth on the Tamarind Learning Podcast. I'm very confident that our listeners will find your comments helpful and inspirational as they embark or continue on their philanthropic journey. Thank you. Thank you.